Texas Region Living Lab, bringing together farmers and ranchers with scientists and producer groups in our agricultural community to solve climate change challenges. The following segment is part of the Peace Region Living Lab Extension Package. For more information, visit peacelivinglabs.ca. Coffee, Cows and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Uh, as you guessed from the intro, this one's going to be a little bit different. We are recording an episode with the Peace Country Living Lab, uh, which PCBFA is a part of. So in today's episode, I'm chatting with the Living Lab Extension Coordinator, Nadia Mori, uh, the Research Coordinator, Dr. Akeem Omokanye, and the Socioeconomics Lead, Monica Benoit. And unable to join us today is the lead application manager, Talon Goche, and we're going to be chatting about what a living lab is and some of the research and demonstration that we'll be doing as part of it. But before we get into all the fun stuff, how about all of you three introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your role within the living lab. All right. Thanks so much for having us, Johanna. Um, I'm Monica Benoit, and I have worked in the Peace Region in various capacities in the egg industry for the last 10 or 12 years. So I um, also farm, grain farm, and run a few cows with my husband and in-laws and our little kids, and I'm excited to be a part of this project. My name is Nadia Mori. I'm the Extension Coordinator for the Peace Region Living Lab and I'm also the coordinator for the Peace River Forage Association of BC. I'm located in Rose Prairie on the BC side of the Peace region. I'm new to the Peace region, but I've been in extension for a good 10 years in Saskatchewan working with forage and rangeland. And it's really an extreme pleasure to be back to extension and be part of this amazing project. I am Akim Omakaye the Science Director for the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association. I am the Director uh, for the Peace Region Living Lab as well. My role involves the science oversight for the Peace Region Living Lab. Awesome. So to get us started, what is a living lab? And I think, Monica, you can answer this one, maybe. Yeah, thanks, Johanna. So a living lab is a very fascinating concept that is used um, in, I would say, research and areas where adoption of new ideas or practices are needed. So um, it can be in agriculture, where I think it's the most common, but it's been used in healthcare models and other other industries. So basically, uh, a living lab is an innovation project supported by research, and it is done at the user level. So in our case, our Peace Region Living Lab is done with active producers on their working farms and ranches. So overall, it's um, it brings together different stakeholders in agriculture, and I guess we could say specifically our Peace Region agriculture industry. So we have the farmers, ranchers, land stewards, we have our extension people, like 
folks at PCBFA who will be part of the project. We have our research scientists within, within our ARAs and within um, Ag Canada who will all be coming together to, to learn about new practices and overall innovate and help to, to make our industry more resilient. So that's kind of a high level overview. And I guess the other thing that's really um, unique about it is that it's very, it's very much living. So as opposed to regular, I would call it regular research or even applied research where you set out with a, a protocol or a, um, a project design and you have your hypothesis and your methodology, this definitely we have protocols and we have plans, but if it doesn't go as planned, that's almost better because we want to learn um, in a real life context and take into account all of the real life factors that happen, including social things and, you know, something, things like labor shortages or labor issues, the weather and the economics. So I think that's the, the heart of it is it, it's flexible and it truly is, is living. Cool. So you touched a little bit on kind of what uh, area we're covering and stuff, but Nadia, you're doing a lot of work with each of the partners on this, on this living lab. So can you talk a little bit about the area that this lab's going to cover and who, who's working on it? The Peace Region Living Lab is actually geographically unique in that it spans across the BC and the Alberta Peace Region. And as far as I know, it's the only living lab in Canada that does that, where it is cross-provincial. And so the living labs as a whole are part of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Agricultural Climate Solution Program. So we're not the only living lab, but again, we're we're special. We like to feel special because we really are. It was a quite a long shot to have something that went across the provincial borders, but it makes a lot of sense because it is a watershed that we're looking at. We're sharing similar soils, similar climatic regions and similar challenges by being in a northern climate, by being isolated from other parts of the province and the country. So it makes a lot of sense that we are doing this together. And we have nine partner groups that have come together from the Alberta and BC Peace Region. The lead applicant is Peace Region Forage Seed Association. And then we have on the Alberta side, Mackenzie Applied Research Association, the North Peace Applied Research Association, Peace Country Beef and Forage Association, and Sarda Ag Research. And then on the BC side, we have the Northern Cohort with NEAT and the Peace River Forge Association of BC, the BC Grain Producers Association, and then also our Indigenous partner, which is Fourth Sister Farm in the Progress area. Awesome. So one of the goals of the Living Lab is to demonstrate and observe um, best management practices on a farm scale. So uh, as opposed to kind of the small plot research that a lot of our research associations are already doing. So what are the best management practices that we're investigating with the Living Lab? Uh, we will be looking at several best management practices, and this will include perennial forages uh, in rotation. We will also be looking at cover cropping systems. Uh, this will include uh, intercropping and cocktail cover crop mixtures. Uh, we will also look at uh, companion cropping, the use of uh, annuals, of cocktails for green manure, where the green manure will be plowed down, you know, to kind of help reduce uh, fertility 
in the cropping system. Uh, also, we'll be looking at uh, the application of biological amendments. Crop livestock integration is one of the best, best management practices that we'll be looking at. Ways of pasture rejuvenation will be looked at. There are methods of extending the grazing season, part of the best management practices you know, that we have uh, listed to examine over the next five years. Also, regenerative grazing management is another best management practices that we will look at. There's a no-till market gardening and then no-till annual cropping systems. So as a follow-up, I guess, to that, Akeem, um, are these management practices already existing on the farms you're working with? Are they already doing these things? Or um, will you be introducing new practices over the course of the project? Or will it kind of be a mix of the two? Yeah, so uh, it's going to be a mixture of the two. Uh, most of the best management practices are already ongoing uh, with the core producers that we're working with. Uh, there are a few ones that will start uh, next year. And then uh, there's going to be an opportunity to make changes, you know, as we go uh, forward. Awesome. And what sort of measurements will you be using to kind of gauge how effective these practices are and maybe to help make those decisions if you're going to change things later on? Uh, for this project, uh, several measurements will be taken uh, to enable us uh, determine how effective the different best management practices or BMPs are. So the measurements will cut across different agricultural production components, uh, including soil and environment, uh, grain production, annual and perennial forage production, uh, vegetables and fruits, as well as social economics. Uh, the project will start with baseline data collection uh, this year, uh, 2022, and will continue with subsequent yearly measurements uh, from 2023. Uh, we will measure soil carbon sequestrations, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and several co-environmental benefits. Uh, for the soil carbon sequestration measurements, the plan is to collect soil samples to a depth of one meter or 3.3 feet uh, this year, and again in five years. So the soil samples will be analyzed in the lab and used to calculate rates of carbon accumulation and to estimate the potential for soil carbon capture uh, through the different uh, BMPs uh, that we are gonna be looking at. So in addition to measuring the soil carbon accumulation, the entire length of the soil sample depth uh, will be assessed for plant root depth, uh, gravel content, uh, porosity in relation to soil health and carbon stocks. The depth for A, B, and C horizons uh, will be assessed along with soil color uh, to determine if the depth of the A horizon increases, uh, in particular uh, with the different BMPs that are under consideration for the next uh, five years. Uh, another measurement of importance is the greenhouse gas emission. Uh, data collection on the greenhouse gas emission will be concentrated on nitrous oxide emissions. So the data on nitrous oxide will be critical uh, for determining the efficacy of selected BMPs, uh, particularly for climate change mitigation through reduced greenhouse gas emissions. 
Uh, another set of data of importance in this project is referred to as the environmental co-benefits. So these environmental co-benefits uh, will include assessment of insect pollination, uh, reduction in diseases and pest infestations, uh, measurements of soil water infiltration rates, uh, visual soil assessments. Uh, we will look at soil moisture and temperature at seeding and during the growing season and other soil parameters, uh, particularly soil compression and water aggregate stability. Also, as part of the environmental co-benefits, we, we will monitor species diversity both above and below uh, ground over the lifespan of the Living Lab project. Uh, the above ground will examine plant species, uh, particularly you know, focusing on their abundance and richness, especially in cover cropping and perennial uh, forage production systems. Uh, when it comes to the below ground, uh, we will look at different microbial communities and their potential roles in agricultural production. The data for the socioeconomic components will include input cost, uh, labor, product quality, and use. And producers will uh, help us to collect a lot of this data. Producers will be encouraged to do some form of data collection for us as well. Uh, each crop producer will be provided with a soil thermometer and with a water infiltration ring uh, they, that they can use when they are available particularly the soil thermometer to recall the soil temperature at key times of the season. Uh, this will include uh, seeding time. Uh, producers will also help us document dates of field operations, uh, seeding dates, uh, crop inputs, and grazing records. So producers will also help us take pictures and notes on field observations, including soil erosion and wildlife activities on their farms. Nutrient budget will be an important aspect of this project. Uh, so the nutrient budget will help us quantify the amount of nutrients that are imported uh, to and exported from a particular best management uh, practice. That's interesting. I was going to ask actually uh, with the nitrous oxide side of things, if you were going to do anything with the the fertility and nitrogen efficiency and that sort of stuff so yeah so uh the soil samples that will be taken will be analyzed for you know the nutrients in the soil particularly nitrogen phosphorus potassium and sulfur and so this will be used to estimate different uh, budgets particularly as this relates to how nutrients for nitrogen, phosphorus, and, uh, and sulfur are imported into the soil as well as taken out of the particular field. Yeah, so we also document you know, the amounts of nitrogen application, so the different uh, you know, best management practices that involve grain cropping or even perennial forages where you know, fertility will be applied. I'll also just add in that during the project development, we learned a little bit about um, like the direct measurements on, especially on agricultural lands to measure greenhouse gas emissions, in particular nitrous oxide, and that there really hasn't been any of that done, especially in um, the Peace region. So there will be some sites that will be directly monitored, but that is a time, a very time consuming and costly way to 
to do that. So it'll be almost the tip of the iceberg and maybe bring on open, open things up to, to do further projects on that um, in the future. But it was very yeah interesting that there's really been no work done on that. Maybe not surprising, but <laughs> very little to none done in the peace region. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, so we're going to be using a gas med, you know, to monitor nitrous oxide from next year. And so we have, uh, you know, a select uh, number of best management, best management practices that we're going to be monitored for the, you know, uh, nitrous oxide emission. Use this particular instrument called the gas med. So in terms of measuring and stuff, are you going to use uh just kind of the starting baseline to compare progress to? Or are you going to have check strips that you're going to compare back to every year for measurements and stuff? Yeah, so uh, in order to help us assess the performance of the different uh, best management practices, uh, every BMP uh, will have a check to compare to. So check fields will come from core producers themselves. It could be uh, from nearby fields or from uh, neighbor's fields. Uh, you know, which will be within a reasonable distance and with similar soil types and topography. Some of the checks will also be strips uh, within a particular, you know, BMP field. Awesome. That makes sense. This segment has been brought to you by the Peace Region Living Lab. Funding for this project in part has been provided by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada through the Agricultural Climate Solutions Living Labs program. Stay tuned and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website at peacelivinglabs.ca for our latest updates. So a big part of any management practice change is the economics and the time investment and that sort of stuff. And that's really, I guess, the socioeconomic side of the whole project. So uh, how will you be measuring those sorts of factors? And Monica, do you want to start on that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think this is a very exciting part of this project. Others might not think so, but, but the numbers are are just so important. Um, the margins on our farms and ranches are just getting so so thin so to try something new brings extra risks these days so i think this is really going to be really a really important project for actually gathering some of the numbers putting numbers on practices being able to keep track um, understanding where the numbers are coming from and looking at profitability. And if I think that one of the things is when you're looking at things like soil health and improving ecosystem goods and services is you don't always get a payback right away. You don't necessarily see that coming into your bank account right away. And that I think is a really hard thing when margins are so thin and there's lots of debt load and, and that sort of a thing. So to be able to um, keep track of that, so we have the just under 60 sites across the piece that we'll be monitoring these best management practices on. And for each practice, we will be gathering, as Akeem mentioned, the whole, a huge um, set of, of data, but really we'll be focusing in on what the costs are and then what in the end, what, what the income is from it and then what that profitability margin is. Um, on some of the sites, we're hoping to be able to kind of do almost a whole farm analysis where we can look at 
the practices in relation to, to profitability. Um, but overall, at the end, we want to come out with some numbers because when we did the preliminary work for the project to see what are the needs and where do we, where does this project need to go and focus on, it just come, kept coming back that what are the numbers and what does it cost? So if I'm going to implement this on my farm, what is it going to cost me or what what is my you know extra money that I'm theoretically going to make if I do this? So so that's a, the main goal of the socioeconomics component. So we're lucky to be working with um, some pretty neat economists and socioeconomists um, to help us um, work through this. So that will be really exciting. And then the social side of it too, you know, you mentioned the time investment and that that is a huge part that, I mean, producers were, were famous for not putting a number on our time, <laughs> you know, so we don't put a, a dollar per hour on that, but there is opportunity cost when you start doing something, trying something new and it you're figuring it out and it does take more time and so that's something we'll be looking at and just some of the other social factors, the the barriers to adoption. You know, you're, if you try something new, your neighbors might look at you strange and um, even intergenerational and within a farm. We won't try this new practice because my family member who I farm with won't is not open to that. You know, all of those sorts of things that affect it, um, as well as some of the are regional factors. Are there regional factors and reasons why we do or don't do different practices? You know, something like crop diversity, our crop rotation isn't as diverse as it could be because we don't have a strong market for faba beans or lentils or, or whatever it might be. So that, that limits us. Whereas if you were in a different geographical region and you had more access to markets, maybe it would be more profitable to expand your crop rotation which includes plant diversity, that sort of a thing, but you don't because there's a an economic factor that limits you. So all of those things, I mean, it is a really big scope, but over the five years, we'll try to do it in, in bite-sized pieces and, and tackle that whole area. And partly with the hope again of maybe this will expand into future projects down the road. That makes sense to me. Lots of, <laughs> lots of potential projects I'm hearing. Yeah. Definitely. And one other thing I will add to that is that a big part of um, the socioeconomic side will be a survey, actually two surveys, one in year one, that we are really hoping that every producer in the whole Peace Vision, <laughs> will, we're being very ambitious, will fill it out and just kind of give us a benchmark, an idea of where the region is at on adoption of different practices, as well as um, some of the access to resources and what other support that our farmers and ranchers in the region would like or, or need. So we'll do that in this coming winter so everyone can watch for that. And then we'll do a follow-up one to that in the fifth year. So in probably very early 2027. All right. And Nadia, did you have anything you wanted to say? The socioeconomic component is certainly Monica's area of specialty, I would say. But I, I wanted to add that at our kickoff event in August, we had one of the collaborators who will help us with this, Brooke Hayes. She's currently working on her PhD, and she actually is looking at how soil health could possibly be related to the mental health of farmers. Because, again, like we don't often look at the socioeconomic side of things. And one aspect of that is also just the health of the, the farmers. Like farming is very stressful. I mean, 
sometimes you might better off playing the lottery, right? Like it's just, there's so many things and there's so much uncertainty and that gets to you at some point. So that is one really intriguing and important aspect that we'll be looking at. And then the other thing too, Monica touched on it is what's actually holding back adoption because ultimately an end goal is also adoption, more broad scale adoption of these best management practices. But if we don't understand like Maybe there's a little teeny weeny thing that's holding somebody back from implementing something. And if we don't understand what that is, we may never get adoption, right? Like maybe it is that neighbor down the road that's just always talking badly about something new that you're trying. Or maybe it's just, I I need one more person to help me. I just can't do it. I, or I need childcare. I just, I can't do it all. I have a young family. Like there's maybe just certain things that we don't think about, right? We think about the big picture or like, here's this fact sheet of how to implement this best, best management practice, but what is really holding a person back? And it could be as simple as somebody just needed to place an order of material to come or somebody just needed to be contracted to build the darn fence. Like it could be little things like that. So I think the socioeconomic part is very, very important. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I have one more big, big, scary question, then we'll start to, to wrap up. Um, so I know one thing that the funders really wanted to focus on in this project is the carbon sequestration. And Akeem mentioned um, kind of how you'll be measuring carbon sequestration, that sort of stuff. But carbon has values beyond just, you know, air quality and climate stabilization, that sort of stuff. Uh, when it's applied on farms. So can you talk a little bit about how carbon works uh, within the farm and ecosystem, like what the benefit is of having carbon in your soils, I guess? Yeah, so uh, let me just start by, you know, defining what carbon sequestration is uh, all about. Uh, so carbon sequestration is the process of capturing, uh, securing and storing carbon dioxide, you know, from the atmosphere. Uh, so this idea is to help stabilize carbon, you know, in solid and dissolved forms uh, so that it doesn't cause the atmosphere, you know, to continue to warm up. Uh, the process uh, shows tremendous promise, you know, for reducing the human carbon uh, footprint. Uh, so in addition, uh, maintaining and increasing soil carbon content, you know, will always, you know, help us uh, improve our yields substantially and also provide multiple uh, agronomic uh, benefits. Uh, we all know that the healthy soil is the foundation of productive, sustainable agriculture. So increasing soil carbon, you know, leads to improved soil health. Uh, increasing soil carbon provides substrates, you know, and energy to support uh, the different microbial activity in the soil and also help us provide a reservoir of organic nitrogen and phosphorus, as well as other nutrients uh, for plant uh, productivity. Also, uh, greater soil carbon helps to maintain soil structure uh, by forming stable and larger aggregates. Soil aggregates are really critical for holding water in the soil. You know, they help improve aeration as well as uh, soil drainage. Uh, research studies have shown in you know, different parts of the world uh, that an increase, you know, say of 1% organic matter, which is about a 0.5% increase in carbon can result in the soil being able to hold 
substantial amount of water. You know, in this case, you know, uh, one acre of land can hold over 16,000 liters of water. Uh, so this is uh, huge. This is a substantial amount of water you know, that can be held in the soil. So that means increasing soil carbon levels is a key factor uh, to improve water use efficiency on farms. So the weather events, you know, uh, of 2021, you know, in the East region in particular, are still fresh in our memories. So uh, lastly, another important value of carbon sequestration is increased climate resilience because healthier soils will make farms more resilient in, you know, against both droughts and heavy rainfall. Yeah, that makes sense. So this all sounds really cool, <laughs> but how are you going to uh, communicate the results, I guess? So like what, what are, what's extension going to look like for this project? The communication is another aspect where we can do all this amazing work unless we tell somebody and show somebody it's it's just this it's just an amazing project that nobody will ever hear about. So extension is really important, and it goes hand in hand with one of the goals also that we have with this living lab is to have more adoption of these best management practices, and farmers and ranchers adopt practices more easily if they can see it, especially if it's the neighbor that they trust and they can go see it, and it actually worked, and there's benefits that can be shown. So that's what the extension will focus on is that peer-to-peer -peer learning. So it'll happen in small clusters that we call learning clusters where the core producers have the opportunity to bring in other folks who might like to try similar practices and take them along and they can just chat about it or they can bring in an expert and have like a little mini learning opportunity right in the field. And then every year, each group will also do larger on-farm tours where we can go and see some of these practices on the farm, right on the ground and hear from the farmer, him or herself to, you know, what's it doing? How challenging is it? How How is it helping me? What unexpected things have happened? And then we'll also have winter events and producer seminars because we also want to give back to the producers. They're really committing themselves for five years to be participating in this project. And we want to acknowledge that contribution. And so one way of giving back is also offering them some learning and some seminars, maybe bring in some really cool speakers that we don't otherwise get access to in the region, because again, we are a bit isolated in the north. But that's that's one way how we want to give back. And then we'll also make online shareable materials that will live way beyond the project as well, such as how-to videos and like we're doing right now, the podcast series and fact sheets that can be shared. All of this will live on our Peace Living Lab website, which is just being built. So it'll be fresh off the press. And then maybe even beyond that, and I'll maybe pass it to Monica for this, is the idea of having a Peace Country Ag Network. So beyond the five years, we don't want all this hard work that went into having all these groups working together go to waste. So we want to take advantage of this momentum that everybody's coming to the table. We're all starting to collaborate across that pesky little border that's in between us. And the Peace Country Act Network will be hopefully a home beyond this project where we can keep collaborating together. And that's something that I've kind of 
for a long time, that vision of having the entire region coming together um, is just something that's just so exciting to me. And I think that this project is the perfect way to get it done. There's been some different things tried over over the years, but I think um, this one is really the way that we will get that rolling. Um, basically, a way that a place where everyone um, involved in agriculture in the Peace Region can come. It will be initially, in particular, led by the nine partner groups who are part of this living lab, but to also include um, ag service boards and ag industry and anyone else who's involved so that when someone needs something agriculture related, whether it's a resource or support or information, that's the central place where they can go. And from there, they can figure out who who can help them best or where they can find that that resource. So um, we as a as a region, we're always short on resources. All of the groups are short on funding. It's always becoming a challenge. So if we can combine our resources and have a network, um, I think that would be would be really exciting. So that goes into kind of the question, the end goal. And one of the end goals is really just bringing the peace region together. So whether it is the ag network and whether it is ARAs and producer groups coming together to share resources and information, but also at a producer level, we're really excited to bring producers who are innovators and who are, you know, thinking outside the box to bring them together to be able to share ideas and practices of what they've been trying, what's worked and what hasn't. We've already seen a little bit of that with some of the planning sessions and the kickoff that we had where a producer from High Prairie gets to visit with somebody from north of Fort St. John and they're doing the exact same thing. So how neat is it that they can have that discussion and um, that they're doing really similar things and now they have someone they can call up to to talk talk things through. So that is one of the the big goals is just creating this network um, within our region that is is unique and is strong. And when resources are short, we have um, have somewhere to go and, and some support. And then the other piece of it is just the living lab model, of course, um, where we have we have a problem. Climate change is a problem. And whether you we believe that or not on an individual level as as a producer. I mean, it still affects us in, in policy where, I mean, our federal government is talking about the fertilizer reduction policy. So it, we're all affected by it. Um, so I think this is a way where we can co-develop solutions to some of those problems. And even something as simple as being more resilient to drought, being more resilient to um, years when we have way too much rainfall in such a short amount of time things like that. So we're, we're co-developing solutions to some of these challenges and then we're testing them. So these best management practices, they're, they're happening and we're going to see, see what they look like, see what we're doing, what they're doing. And we're evaluating. So as Akeem mentioned, all of the measurements we're going to take, um, I know there's lots of, of producers who try new things, but to actually know if it made a difference um, is going to be good to actually measure. And I think that is a limiting factor when we don't have time, you don't have time to always, if you try something new to actually measure it, you don't have time to go out and do your own water infiltration test, or you don't have time to go do a species count. So that's where the living lab comes in and does those things, which I think is, is a huge value to a producer who's trying to, to make changes and to see if something actually um, makes a difference and is worth, worth maybe the extra risk. And then finally, that in the end, we have a set of practices that we know are are 
adoption can happen. So hopefully some of these practices will um, will be adopted by more producers and be able to, to make their operations stronger and more resilient in the end. So I think they're, they're big goals, but um, it's exciting to be able to work on tackling all of that. Definitely. I guess my last question is uh, where can people go if they have more questions, if they want some more information, if they want to follow, <laughs> follow our progress and that sort of stuff. They can go to peacelivinglab.ca, which is our website that's about to come live. You can also follow us on Facebook at peacelivinglab.ca and on Twitter at peace underscore living lab. Please follow, share, link stuff, share the stories that matter to you in life that, that relate to agriculture and the peace region. Fantastic. But yeah, thank you so much for doing this with me, guys. You're welcome. Thanks, Johanna. Thanks for all the night. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening. Thank you.